Hello, my name is Matt Summerall. Today, we're talking cyber attacks and the critical role that backup and recovery has in safeguarding your data and your operating systems in the case of a ransomware attack. Now, this is part of our Ask Us Anything series, and we have some callers who are going to ask our experts some basic and sometimes curly questions about cyber attacks. And then we'll take a look at the latest backup and recovery solutions that can help protect your business. But first, let's bring in our experts. We've got Gobin Chira here from The Missing Link, an account executive. How long have you been doing this for? Oh, it's got to be close to about 15 years, Matt. 15 years, and I can tell. Well, good thing it's a podcast and no one can see my face, so yeah. (laughs) And from Pure Storage, joining us is Paul Bruton, who is a Principal Solutions Architect. Paul, welcome to you. Tell us a bit about what you actually do, Paul. I've been working in the industry for probably about 25 years now, and you know, a big part of that is around modern data protection solutions, as well as unstructured data solutions and, and analytics, starting to move into that AI space as well. All right, so we'll go to our first callers shortly, but just so everyone knows how this type of attack works, Paul, can you explain for us what a ransomware attack is? So ransomware is probably the tail end of what I would call a cyber attack or a cyber incidence where a cyber attacker has actually got into your organization and they typically dwell in there for a period of time. You know, what they're looking to do is elevate their credentials. They sort of want to get administrative access and rights to your environment so they can then exfiltrate data, which may be valuable on the black market. Uh, And finally, what they'll do after they've got everything that they need is they will encrypt your data. And that's the process of the ransom. Before encrypting the data, they're really looking to see how they can do as much damage you know, to your business, to your infrastructure as possible. You know, and one of the big ones they're going after now and the sophistication that the attackers are starting to introduce is compromising your backup data. Paul, you're pretty spot on there. I think most cases, most companies will find that uh, once they've had a breach, someone's usually been in there for around about three to six months before they realize that someone's in there. And yeah, that's a lot of time to absolutely. get in there and make dam- do some damage. Actually, there was a survey out from Veeam just a couple of weeks ago, Veeam Software. They found that in 93% of ransomware incidents, the threat actors target the backup repositories, resulting in 75% of victims losing at least some of their backups during the attack and more than one third, which was 39% of backup repositories being completely lost. They also said that organizations are still ill-prepared to face this kind of threat. 80% continue to pay the ransom despite multiple advisories against it. They primarily uh, do that to get their data back. But out of the 80%, 21% end up paying, but they don't get their data back. It's kind of this side effect of dealing with cyber criminals. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, one of the interesting facts that you know, I've heard you know, from the industry as well is even organizations that actually have a backup solution in place are paying the ransom to get their data unencrypted because they don't believe that they can recover the data fast enough. And how do people normally find out that they've actually been attacked? Is it is there an alarm that goes off in the technical department which says there's been a ransomware attack or do people's, yeah, look, people just can't get access? That, that does come down to the company's, you know, infrastructure and the, the security policies and procedures they have in place. You know, usually certain types of software, you know, whether you've got a SOC or a SIEM will tell you that, you know, attack is taking place. You know, it'll pick up that there's, you know, certain files being moved around, certain files leaving the company. Yeah, it's the software or the, you know, the systems administrators will 
usually are the first to sort of pick that sort of stuff up. We've had customers that have experienced these types of attacks and what they'll typically always see is, you know, the authentication side of the business. So DNS, Active Directory uh, will, will be shut down, you know, which prevents the organization from logging in to try and see what's going on. From a storage perspective, which is where Pure sort of sit within this equation, is we will typically see that the storage arrays will start to become extremely full. Now, the result of encrypting data is you lose some of the data reduction capabilities that these modern storage solutions can deliver. You know, so we will see storage arrays go to 100% full in some circumstances. And I was reading that there's one report of a cyber attack every 10 minutes in Australia. Is that right? That's right, Matt. The OAIC is the governing body that uh, manages all the uh, cybercrime activity. So when you do have a breach, you need to report it to the OAIC and they record that. But yeah, there's so many that happen and obviously there are so many that, that, don't, that don't get uh, notified as well. Okay, I'm just going to head overseas. Uh, there was another report which came out a couple of weeks ago about a German automotive and arms manufacturer, Rhein Metal AG. They confirmed that they were hit up by a mob, a gang called Black Basta in a ransomware attack. Rheinmetall is a German manufacturer of automotive, military vehicles, armaments, air defense systems, engines, and various steel products. They employ about 25,000 people, revenue of over $7 billion. A British outsourcing giant contracted by multiple departments of the UK's government and the army was also hit up by this same gang. So they're real gangs, aren't they? They're quite sophisticated. Yeah, and they're making it extremely easy for these gangs to get into, I'll call it this line of business. You know, you can subscribe or you can find ransomware as a service capabilities on the dark web. Wow. Which basically means you can go online, you can basically set yourself up, get all the encryption technology to actually do that ransomware attack once you've hacked an organisation. The FBI says that cybercrime has overtaken drug trafficking as the most lucrative crime globally. That's unbelievable. Wow, that's that. Yeah, it's an amazing statistic. I mean, it really sort of brings back to why you need to have things like backups in place. You know, you really don't want cybercrime and cybercriminals to get their, their hands on your data. Let's talk about some of the short-term implications of a ransomware attack. Data loss clearly is the first thing, Paul. Absolutely. You know, and another way that I like to look at it is, you know, not being able to access your data, you know, versus loss of actual data itself. So the disruption. Exactly. You know, companies really do want to have to try and protect their bottom line. I think we saw statistics of where Fortune 1000 companies, some of the top organizations in the world, if they went down, if they had lost productivity, it would cost them anywhere between half a million dollars to a million dollars per hour. That's a very good point because that disruption to your operations, you know, it's, it's the delays, it's the downtime, it's your employees not being able to get access to their data to do their day-to-day work. And the other big one, which I think is still evolving within Australia, is, is that legal and regulatory implications um, as a result of a cyber attack, you know, maybe data is being exfiltrated out of the business. What are we doing to protect that information within organisations? What sort of regulations are in place? in terms of federal government regulations on the level of cybersecurity that businesses should have. Are there laws in place in Australia where you have to do certain things or is it just up to individual businesses to take care of it themselves? 
Yeah, look, that's a good question. I think within most of the organizations, most of the different uh, verticals of businesses, there's a particular standard that they should need to adhere to. Yeah, and I've mentioned the ASD8 before. They give a list of recommendations that every single business should be trying to achieve. Not all of them achieve that. You know, the, the regulation that we see that most businesses adhere to is more the backup of data in regards to how long it's been backed up. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that they, that's that's been around for a while. So it's more the managing of the data mm-hmm. in terms of privacy rather than how much of a, a level of cybersecurity that you have around your whole business. Is that right? Yeah. And once again, that comes down to the organization to, to make that call. Everyone's starting to move towards a zero trust policy, but um, you need to be able to have the business function as, as best as it can, you know, without it being inhibitive to the employees. You don't want to make it too hard for the employees to work, but you need to make it hard enough that, you know, if someone does give away a password, your two-factor authentication is going to kick in. It's going to stop someone from a different IP logging in. And so hence why that's something that's, that's quite important. Look, the ASD8 does act as a, a great checklist for that. Um, and most companies really should be looking to that as to how to regulate their business and their security. And companies like The Missing Link, Pure Storage, obviously have that in mind um, when it comes to, you know, applying the best security policies and procedures for businesses. One of the frameworks that a lot of our customers sort of try to use uh, is is a defense in-depth strategy, you know, which is, it's, it's a pretty well-published thing, which sort of looks at it from the perimeter coming into your organization all through your internal networking structure and finishing off with that that core storage footprint within the data center. So defense in depth is something which a lot of our organizations, a lot of people within the security side of, of IT really push and they're the frameworks that we start to look at. Moving outside of that, you know, we have the the Privacy Act uh, of, I think it was of 1988, you know, from an Australia perspective, which starts to then move into how do we protect, you know, citizens' data and personally identifiable information. And to be honest, you know, personally, I think we're a little bit behind of what, say, like the European Union is doing with respect to GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation. You know, they're really leading the charge on this of how, you know, citizens of the EU have the right to be forgotten. And what that means is if you're not a customer of a large business or a large organisation anymore, you have the right to let them know or tell them that you want them to remove your personal information from their business. So we don't have that here yet. We're seeing parts of it being implemented. Almost like the, the don't call me list. Yeah, to a degree, yeah. My personal information is is out there and I don't have any mechanism to tell those organisations to, can you please remove my personal information from your business? Some of what we've just covered there is quite technical, but you're dealing with IT technical people on a regular basis, aren't you, Kevin? Yeah, so the CIOs, CTOs, um, IT managers, um, ICT managers, and a lot of them do know what the benchmark is for their organisation generally um, as to what security to have implemented. But, you know, there are external factors that, that push on that as well. So depending on whether they're dealing with the government or if they're dealing with the military, those companies and those businesses would want them to have a certain level of security in place. And that forces their hand to make sure that they're doing the right things. And we're finding that a a bit more with um, some of the other, whether it's legal and finance as well. There's regulatory bodies out there that are pushing them to to make sure that they're as safe as possible. All right, let's get into the Q&A part of our podcast. We posted invites across the Missing Link socials for 
people to jump on and record their questions about cyber attacks. And you can link into The Missing Link, by the way. Probably best to do that via LinkedIn. There are several posts coming out every day from The Missing Link with all sorts of stuff, including the invites to be a part of our podcast. So let's go to our first caller. Here we go. Are the number of ransomware attacks increasing or have they always been around and we haven't heard about them? Interesting part about that is that now that people are you know, really starting to take security seriously, the number of ransomware attacks have decreased, but obviously they're, they're becoming a lot more sophisticated. We're finding ransomware that's exploiting certain vulnerabilities in, in software, which is you know, why we make sure that the companies that we look after always have some sort of patching policy in place because we want to close up all those vulnerabilities. You know, probably one of the biggest vulnerabilities that we also see with these ransomware attacks and how the cyber attackers get into organizations is people. Now, whether it's phasing through emails, it's text messages. You know, I heard a very interesting one where a university was hit by cyber attackers and they used the logic that if they could get the student's social media username and password, the university logon and password was probably going to be the same. And of course it was. There's a way in. So people still are one of those weakest links within the organization. That's kind of like the sort of brute force style attack. They find one type of password. They're going to use it against everything else that's, that's across your name, your Insta account, Facebook, bank accounts. Let's go to our second question. It seems like hackers are going for big companies with a lot of money. Is this true or should small businesses also be careful? Yeah, I don't think they're discriminating between large and small. You know, where they would probably play that out with respect to the size of the organization is the size of the ransomware that they're asking for. What we're seeing typically at the high end of town is ransomware increasing over time. If you pay within the first 24 hours, it's a million dollars. If you pay after 36 hours, the cost goes up to $2 million, et cetera, et cetera. So they're starting to become sophisticated business people, you know, these cyber attackers. Yeah, and that's that's true. Most of the time, like I said, they usually have sat within the organization for a good couple of months. So they, they get used to seeing what invoices are getting passed through. They'll know that even if it's a small organization with maybe five or 10 people, that organization could still be turning over a couple of million dollars a year. Invoices can still be getting passed to clients that are worth a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And that's a piece of the pie that most cyber criminals would want to be after. Let's just talk about that for a second. So small to medium enterprises, you know, like you said, you could have a a business which has got five or 10 people, but then you could have a client who's got, say, 140 people. They're a retail client. They've got a lot of supplies. They've got a lot of invoices that can fall into the wrong hands, et cetera. Isn't it just easier for these people to just go out and get insurance rather than to worry about all this? Because there's insurance for this now, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of organizations starting to pop up. We had a roundtable with a bunch of healthcare professionals, you know, probably uh, about two months ago. And, and it was a, a topic of discussion amongst a lot of the C-suite that were there, how they're, they're looking to protect their business with cyber or ransomware insurance. What we found is that with companies, when they do take out cybercrime insurance, generally their premiums can be quite large if they haven't implemented the security protocols that they need to have in place. Even things like having awareness training in place will help reduce your premium. So it's always good to make sure you factor in as much security as possible, reduce your premium and reduce your risk. Our next question is about different industries. I was just curious to know, are there any industries that are more at risk than others? Yeah, look, what we found is that there are a couple of industries that 
are heavily targeted. The two that come to mind is the healthcare industry, then followed closely by the finance industry. I mean, the finance industry for obvious reasons, account information and um, credit card details. The health industry is a bit more of an interesting one. It just seems to be a lot more material there that can be blackmailable. You know, people don't want to have information out there. It's kind of private information, and that's that's the kind of information that that sells quite well on the black market. You know, you're exactly right. These types of industry and organizations are really starting to take this seriously, working with a number of organizations within the healthcare medical imaging space over the past probably six months. You're really starting to see into their requirements that they're looking for from a technology perspective. And I'll throw that word out there, immutability, which we'll talk about a little bit later on within within this session. But the immutability of their data is becoming extremely important for them. You can't really stop a ransomware attack. They're always going to try and attack you, aren't they? But there is a whole bunch of things that you can do to limit the damage so that you can keep your operations up and running. So tell us about some of the things that we need to do. There's a number of things that you can do. Obviously, having that backup in place is probably the most important part. You know, you want to be able to make sure you can restore your system after a a primary data failure, whether it's a ransomware attack or otherwise. And look, obviously, you know, there's... There's direct financial benefits from being able to do that, lose money from productivity or from having to give money away to to cyber criminals. But things that you really should be doing, obviously, like I said, make sure you have that backup plan in place. Make sure you have a recovery plan in place as well. You know, you want to make sure you've got clearly defined steps that you can follow so that after an attack occurs, you can make sure that the backups are up and running and that you've got a plan also of making sure you can restore your, your system and your data as well. Yeah, well, we've actually talked about backup and recovery before on the podcast, and testing is a big thing, isn't it? You've got to keep testing. Yeah, absolutely agree. One of the things that, a couple of points that I picked up on there, recoverability, you know, that's probably the biggest shift that I've seen in the last two to three years with respect to data protection solutions and backup and recovery. Organizations really should be asking themselves in this day and age, what is my recovery plan? Not what is my backup plan? We've been doing backup for for decades, 20, 30, 40 years, backing up data. In this day and age, it's how quickly can I get my business back online? How quick then can I recover my data? To your point earlier, uh, the way that I look at backup and recovery, it's that break the glass in case of emergency you know, type mentality. Well, if you're a retailer online and you get hit, they can't afford to have their operation down for longer than five minutes, can they? Exactly. And that's why making sure you have that plan in place is really important for them. You know, they really should be making sure that they're covering all avenues of their business as well. Make sure that they have an operating system that's that's being, you know, patched and is up to date. And make sure that they invest in cybersecurity, you know, make sure that your internal training is happening, you know, your vulnerability testing is happening. Make sure you're able to control access of those files and have that data secured by having admin rights in place. The backup and disaster recovery plan, which is really, as Paul said, it's about getting your operations up and running as quickly as possible. So you get hit by a ransomware attack, you need to be able to recover and be operative very quickly. And what we're finding now is, is that these uh, gangs, these cyber criminal gangs, they're going after the backups. So if we're doing a backup and disaster recovery plan and and they're now taking the backups, what do we do now? You know, and this is where the missing link and pure come together. And I like to use a term better together. Backup applications like Veeam, they have the ability for you to start to set retention and immutability within the software layer. 
but we also talked earlier about the sophistication of the cyber attack these days and they're looking at where you're storing your backup data. And it's typically these days on, on a form of storage technology, a storage array. And they're looking to get those elevated credentials so they can actually go in and delete and compromise that data, which forces you to pay that ransomware that we've been talking about. And, and from a pure perspective, we start to bring the immutability down into that underlying storage layer as well. One thing that the pure storage obviously does really well as well, it has that flash blade technology and has really fast drives in there. And it means that when we need to pull data back, we can basically have an organization up and running in a few hours compared to, say, Glacier technology and AWS. Sure, it's nice, cheap technology to have your backups on, but if you've got a lot of data, that could be a day or two days for you to pull that back in and be back up and running. Yeah, exactly. You know, pure storage has been around for about 12, 13 years now. And in the IT world, you know, we're still a young company, but being a younger company, we come in and disrupted the market quite extensively. We're an all flash uh, storage technology and we're really leading the market, you know, within that. Even the analysts agree with that. You know, we've been nine years in a row in the top right-hand leaders quadrant of the Gartner Magic Quadrant. So it's bringing that new technology and new approaches from a storage perspective and uh, now also into that data protection space as well. Now, I know, Paul, that AI is being used to improve pure storage products, and we'll get to one of those benefits in just a moment. But one of our callers had a question about AI. Off late, we are hearing a lot about AI. Does this have any sort of an influence on the increase in cyber attacks? I know that Paul's mentioned, um, you know, social engineering before where we've had, you know, UD students have their, their information pulled from their Facebook pages. And what AI is going to be able to do is, is try and pull data from as many places as possible so that they create a very good social picture of, of who this person is, what they do, what they're into, what their likes are. And that's going to be able to attract as much information as possible, garner all that information, and it will give that AI a much better idea of what is the chance that this person uses a particular type of password? You know, what are their pastimes? What are their kids' names? Yeah, and Matt Dunn from The Missing Link in our previous podcast, he was talking about how the emails will be far more sophisticated because sometimes you can sort of see that, oh, this is a bit of a fake email, the spelling mistake there, and yeah, exactly you know, the logo right. looks a bit yeah. dodgy. It's gonna, that's going to take out a bit of the language barrier. So we know that majority of, of attacks come from certain vectors. It's going to format those email attacks, those phishing attacks, you know, so they look quite genuine, look like a genuine email. Now, we talked about these gangs going for the backups. Paul, tell us about this AI feature that Pure Storage has created. Yeah, it, it's a new capability that we've introduced into our Pure One platform, you know, which I like to think about that as an AI ops platform, which a lot of our customer telemetry is is heading up into the Pure One framework. And what we're calling this is anomaly detection. I mentioned there earlier that one of the side effects of a ransomware attack is the encryption of your data. And what we typically see when that data set is encrypted, you lose the data reduction capabilities of it. So what you see is a significant decrease in that data reduction rate. So in essence, you can see that array go to 100% full. So what we have the ability to do is look at this at a per volume level. When I mean per volume, it's this chunk of disk has been presented up to this particular server. 
or this particular application. And if we can see that data reduction rate jumps quite significantly in a very short period of time, we flag that. So it is like an alert. And so what happens then? Once we detect that that volume's data reduction rate is significantly changed, we'll send out that alert to the customer. You know, we'll also have a visual representation of that, you know, within our data protection assessment. And I'll say it's not a remedy. It's literally, we've detected it. The backup software vendors have a lot of detection capabilities as well. But what this does from a, from a storage perspective, and this is the whole better together messaging again, is we can start to have a look at from a storage perspective of when that occurred. So what that does for an organization, it gives you a pretty good reference point as to where you need to start that recovery. And is that the glass breaking moment? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, If you get to that point, it is, yeah, let's break the glass in case of emergency. Okay, so Smart Protect is the offering from the missing link. What are the benefits of having Smart Protect? Well, look, regardless of whether it's large or small, we work with all organizations. Organizations that tend to have staff of around 20 to 30, they generally don't have a dedicated IT person in there. And, you know, we can provide them with a fully managed solution where we look after everything. We'll manage the backups, we'll test the backups. It sits within our data centers, sits on the pure storage hardware, uh, you know, and it's, um, like I said, the dashboards all run through Veeam. That works as well for, you know, businesses even as big as 500 to 1,000. The particular example I could probably give you here would be a client who we took over fairly recently, but a few years ago, they had a rogue employee that was out there deleting emails, deleting data, and they had a few days before they needed to present this information to the legal system, and they had to rely on us to get in there, get that information, get it restored as quickly as possible, and then provide them that information. Yeah, so just picking up on one of the points that you just mentioned there as well about a rogue employee. One of the, the principal features of that safe mode technology and that immutability that I talked about earlier is really the inability for somebody with administrative access down into the storage layer to permanently delete that data. From a missing link perspective in the context of their smart protect solution, gives them the ability to get that data back extremely quickly can think about this as like the trash bin on your Windows desktop. You accidentally delete something, you go to the trash bin, you recover it. Just that extra layer of security where even the administrator of that system cannot permanently delete that data. In summary, you know, just to wrap things up, I think it's fair to say that cyber criminal warfare is on the increase, right? And businesses need to be aware of this. They need to realize no matter how big or small they are, there could be just a small business with five to 10 people. You could be an individual. You could be a company of, of 10,000 people. There is a risk out there and you need to be ready for it. And you need to have critical business systems in place to make sure that your data is protected and that you're able to back up and recover your operation as quickly as possible so that you don't end up going out of business. Is that pretty much a good summary here? Yeah, I I think that's pretty spot on. Look, the silver lining is more and more people are taking security seriously, but unfortunately it's just not enough and they're not quite doing enough when it comes down to it. So make it as tight as possible. Like I said, moving towards that sort of zero trust Policy would be something that would benefit a lot of businesses, but just trying to make it so that it's not inhibitive to their employees, but making it so that they're as secure as possible and their staff are as aware as possible of of what these potential attacks might be. From a business perspective, whether you're large or small, 
Now, the one question that you should be asking yourself is, do we have a recovery strategy? Do we have a recovery plan? Because it's all about the recovery. All right. Fantastic, guys. Uh, Paul Bruton, Principal Solutions Architect with Pure Storage. Thank you so much for your time today, Paul. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm glad that I went and had a shave and done my hair this morning for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabin Chera uh, from The Missing Link, Account Executive. Uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be getting in touch with you after hearing all of your wonderful uh, expertise today. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, thanks so much, Matt. It's been great to be here. And if you'd like to find out how you can create a secure and reliable backup and recovery plan, reach out to The Missing Link via their website. You can find out everything you need to know about Smart Protect, themissinglink.com.au. You can also find a whole library of podcasts from The Missing Link wherever you enjoy your podcasts. The Check It Out series covers everything from cybersecurity to cloud services and the latest on AI and ChatGPT. We'd also love for you to follow us and share us. I'm Matt Summerall on behalf of The Missing Link. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Camaragal people of the Garangai tribe of the Aora Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging.